Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to True North Church. Come on, put your hands together. Very good. Just want to also welcome those who are in the room who are joining us in person for the very first time. Also, those who are joining us online, welcome, uh, as well as those who are joining us from SCI Chester in our partnership with God Behind Bars. Come on, why, why don't we welcome everybody here? No better place that you can be on a Sunday morning than right here in True North Church. And I am so glad to be with you this morning. My name is Pastor John. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And we are in part two of a series that we started last week, obviously, uh, called Echo, in which we are focusing in on the topic of prayer, a very misunderstood topic topic. A lot of people grow up with these ideas of what prayer is that probably aren't too much in alignment with what Scripture actually says. So I want to do just, uh, just just so we're all on the same page, we're all caught up to speed. Maybe you were out of town last week, but I just want to give you a quick review of what we've already learned from part one. In part one of this series, we looked at a handful of ways that we should approach God when it comes to this idea of what prayer should look like. So number one, prayer should come from a heart that is righteous and in right standing with God. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. This is what God wants for us to approach him with the right heart. Number two, we learned that prayer should come from a place of confidence and humility. It's confidence not in ourselves, in our own skills and talents and abilities. We actually approach the throne of heaven with confidence in him. We know that God has the power and the strength to answer prayers. Uh, number three, prayer should have the motive to glorify God and build God's kingdom, not to glorify us or to build my own kingdom. Oftentimes, we get caught up so often in prayers in which we are attempting to get God to help us build our kingdom. Number four, prayer should come from a place of genuine joy and gratitude. We are, we are always remembering the goodness of God. We are remembering where the good things come from. God is the giver of good things. Actually, all good things come from Him. And so we remember that, and we have gratitude, and we have joy when we approach Him. And the last one, number five, prayer should be paired with listening and responding to what God places on your heart. Oftentimes, we think of prayer as just this one-way conversation in which we pray, we ask God for stuff, or we make our request known to Him, and then we say, amen, all right, cool, see you later, and that's it. We should be taking time to actually listen and be sensitive to what God would speak to us or what God would have us carry out and do. Prayer is a two-way conversation. We are both speaking, but we're also listening, all right? So since we looked at how we should pray, today I actually want to take a closer look at how not to approach God. Oh, boy. How not to pray. Here's, here's just a few really interesting questions surrounding this topic. What happens when unrighteous or wicked people pray? Does, does God still hear their prayers? Does God 
answer them? What happens when people offer prayers, but those prayers are not in alignment with what God wants? They're not in alignment with His will. Uh, and then here is the probably one of the classic questions of all time. Why are some prayers answered while other prayers are not? And to answer those very important and burning questions. We're actually going to be taking a, a trip back to the Old Testament, and we're going to be looking at two characters, Isaiah and Hezekiah. I, now, Isaiah was actually a, a prophet who was living in the, uh, the kingdom of Judah, specifically living in the capital of Jerusalem during what is known as the divided kingdom period. This was about 700 years before Christ. And then Hezekiah was actually one of the last kings of Judah during what could be described as a very difficult time. So let me set the stage here before we really jump in too far. There is this empire that is rising and growing and becoming more and more powerful known as the Assyrian Empire. And they actually went on this mission of conquest where they wanted to conquer the entire world. And as of up to this point, they had actually already conquered 46 smaller kingdoms or city city states okay so there were 46 and 0 this this empire was undefeated up into up to this point and then we get to 722 BC they actually uh, the Assyrians they swept south with this huge army under king Sennacherib that's a great name right if you're having children just just think of it as snack of ribs is an easy way all right uh, and they actually ended up taking over the northern kingdom that was called Israel. So Israel as a whole was split into two. The northern kingdom was, was still called Israel. The southern kingdom was called J Judah. Okay? And so now the northern kingdom has been taken over. And then King Sennacherib and his army, they set their sights on conquering the southern kingdom of Judah as well and its capital, J Jerusalem. So they actually sweep down south and they surround Jerusalem with an army of a quarter million soldiers, 250,000 soldiers. It was actually the largest army that had ever existed up until that, that point. And they laid siege, they surrounded and laid siege to the capital in order to either breach their walls or to be there for, for years and essentially starve them out. And so when, when this is happening inside of Jerusalem, you can only imagine the panic. The king at that time was Hezekiah, and his soldiers estimated to, were to be around 2,500, okay? So there's about 10,000 people in the city, about a quarter of them, 2,500 are soldiers. So think about this. The odds now are 250,000 to 2,500. That is 100 to 1 odds, if you were laying down money on, on that, on those odds, right, I mean, you would be stupid to pick Judah. You would be, no, King Snack of Ribs is going to conquer, okay? And so <laughs> that seems pretty bad. That seems like, and for everyone in the city, they are panicking Oh, this is not good. We're going to be taken over just like everyone else. They're going to be 48 no. 
And, and that's not even the worst part. That, that sounds horrible, but the worst part, even worse, was the fact that Judah at this time had not been serving God. As a nation, they had broken the covenant, and they were now, because of that, they were living outside of God's blessing and protection. The people in the city and in, in, uh, in Judah as a whole, they were engaging in very, very selfish, immoral living. They were engaging in, in idolatry. And this is why God actually sends Isaiah to them. He sends them, he sends Isaiah to the people in order to warn them. And Isaiah would actually continue to warn them for 40 years. Over, over the reigns of actually four different kings, Isaiah would continue to repeat the words of God and remind them and, and, and caution them over and over and over. And this is how much God loves his people. He doesn't simply say, okay, you messed up. That's it. I am now sending an army and they're going to just destroy you. No, he says, I am giving you opportunity after opportunity, your entire generation, chance after chance to repent and to return to me. So here, we're going to pick it up here, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. Why not start right at the beginning? And it says this, it says, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So this is who it's for, that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, those were the first two kings, Ahaz and Hezekiah, king of Judah. So Hezekiah here is this fourth king. And then we skip down to verse 10, and it says this. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So it, it, it's very quick here that we get that God is not pleased. He is not hap happy, and he is speaking through Isaiah a very harsh, direct, and blunt warning, saying, you better listen. This is your last chance. And what God is saying here is he's saying, look, you, you claim you are the epicenter of my people. This is the capital of Jerusalem, the holy city. You claim to be godly people, but your lifestyle is wrong. It's immoral. It's backward. It's upside down to what I want. You're, you're living lives in which you're full of lust. You're living lives in which you, you look only to pursue and to satisfy the flesh. And he says, just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, you're doing what is right in your own eyes, not what is right in the eyes of God. Just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, you need to rethink your ways. You need to repent. You need to change your ways or destruction is coming. The status quo cannot continue. You cannot continue in this way because judgment has to come. Then we see here, we continue on where Isaiah, he's, he's actually through, God has impressed it on him, and he is now speaking, and he is now going to describe exactly what it is that the people were doing at that time that was so displeasing t to God. He's just going to lay it out there. So we could go now, here's verse 11 and 12. It says, he says, the multitude of your sacrifices... What are they to me, says the Lord? 
I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this of you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. So what was happening here was was everything that God doesn't want when it comes to prayer, when it comes to worship, when it comes to offerings, when it comes to the behavior that people should have when they came to the temple or when they came to church, that is what was happening. And God is saying, look, look, hold on, hold on. I don't want any more of your false offerings. They bring me no pleasure because they come from a wrong heart. You keep doing these same things over and over. You keep going through the motions, but there's no real actual change happening on the inside. He says it, it's, it's meaningless. There's no meaning to it. Stop it. Stop doing these meaningless things. Your, your motivation, your heart is, is set in a way in which you're, you're, you're only doing these things to bring glory to yourself to make yourself look good or to feel good or to feel holy. And because of this, you're actually trampling my courts. You're stepping into holy ground, a holy place, and you are trampling my courts. Then he continues on in verse 13 and says, Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate them with all my being. This is some very strong language. And then he actually says this, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. I essentially say, I, I don't know how much more of this I can take. And so at that time and all, all throughout Scripture, incense was actually symbolic of prayer because the incense would be lit and there was some smoke. And just like prayers, they would rise up. It was symbolic of the idea of these prayers that are rising up to heaven. And so what, what, what God is saying here, he's saying, your prayers are detestable. You're praying, you're, you're saying even maybe the right words, but I find them detestable. I hate them because it's being done incorrectly. Your traditions and your prayers, they're just hollow religious routines. There's nothing to them. You're just going through the motions. It's just for show. It's not genuine. It's not authentic. And he actually even says, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. God actually, he would l l later say that he, he hates them. They have become a burden on him. And we might ask, well, why? Why, why, does, why have these assemblies, the gather? I, I thought anytime anybody gathers in the name of God, it's good. No, 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 no. He knows that although it may look like it from the outside, what is happening on the inside in the heart of man is completely as far away from truth and authenticity that you can actually get. He's saying these assemblies, these feasts and these festivals, they're not about worshiping or honoring God. 
God. They're actually all about you. It's all about making yourself feel better. It's all just a social event. It's something that you can be happy about. It leaves you feeling encouraged, but that's, that's it. And I wonder, I wonder, even if we t- take this with the idea that, that history and Scripture, it repeats itself over and over and over. It, it happens in cycles. I wonder how many church services today in our world, whether on purpose or completely on accident, they don't even realize it's happening, but they've become worthless assemblies. They simply just become social ev- events. There are people coming together in God's name, but God is not there. God is not being honored. God is not being glorified. God is not being worshipped. And actually, any worship or singing or anything that's actually happening, it's simply just an emotional manipulation only. There's just people going through the motions, saying the right thing, repeating the right words, raising their hands at the right time, but their hearts are somewhere else. It's just a feel-good, motivational speech. There's no full gospel message. There's no Jesus. There's no hope. There's no repentance. There's no salvation. It's shallow. It's watered down. Jesus is left out. It is essentially a version of Christianity that is a Christless Christianity. And I would actually say even today in our culture as a whole, we're actually seeing a rise and an epidemic of what I would call counterfeit spirituality. It's this idea that, that, that it's, it's in the world, but it's also seeped into our churches. And you hear it with certain phrases, with certain ideas, with the way that the alignment of a per- per- person's heart. They talk about manifesting your destiny, praying to the universe, harnessing your own mindfulness and spiritual centeredness, um, not having faith in Jesus per se, but just having faith in faith. As long as you have faith in something, as long as you're a spiritual person, it doesn't really matter what it is. You can live by your truth. It doesn't have to be the truth. And this is often, it's all done in a way that is in a pursuit to elevate yourself, to enlighten yourself, to achieve my goals, and ultimately to, to worship self. And, and often, when it comes to many of these religious or spiritual ideas, they sound good, but they're false. They're not pleasing to God. And actually, he would describe them as they're worthless because it's just, it's just a show. There's nothing real behind it. And I would even say here, when it, when it comes to what happened here thousands of years ago, and even what is happening often now, I wonder how much more God can take. I wonder how much more that he would be willing to bear it, these religious mindsets and spiritual assemblies that lack anything real. In verse 15, he, he continues, and he says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. This, wow, that, this goes completely against what, what we would often think. We would say, yeah, of course, God is always listening. God always hears. God is always watching me. But this actually even says, look, because of your attitude, because of the state of your heart, I, I hide my eyes from you, 
And even when you offer many prayers, you're saying the right thing. You're, (laughs) I am not listening. We have to keep in mind here that these are religious people. These are spiritual people. These are people that are self-righteous. They would consider themselves to be culturally moral people. They are in the capital of Jerusalem, that is the holy city, that is the land, that is God's chosen people. They would look at themselves, look, if there's anyone here that God would see and listen to, it would be us. And what he's saying here is, look, when you offer up these prayers... You may be saying the right things, but the, they're words only. Your hearts are far from me. These prayers, they're not genuine. There's no true reverence. There's no true worship, no true gratitude. There's not, not really a real level of faith or expectation. They're not in alignment with God's will. Essentially, that, that list of five things that we said at the beginning, that we actually should be approaching God, none of those are happening. And so because of this, God still hears you. Why? Because God is everywhere. God is all-powerful and he hears everything. But there's a difference between God hearing you and God intently listening to what you have to say. He hears your prayers, but there's really no reason to answer them. Why? Because it would actually be foolish for God to answer them. That would only condone and give approval to the way that you're living. That would only give approval to false worship. That would only give approval to your idolatry and to your, your arrogant, prideful living that, is, that simply just exists to elevate yourself. Later in Isaiah, the prophet would repeat this warning over and over. Isaiah 29, 13, it says, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship, their worship of me is based on merely human rules, which they have been taught. And then even, this this wasn't even uh, fully solved or handled at this time. This would continue on 700 years later. Jesus Jesus himself would actually repeat Isaiah's warning, and he would repeat Isaiah's words to to the Pharisees. He said this in Matthew 15, starting in verse 7. Jesus said this. He said, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. And this is really an issue that has happened all throughout Scripture, all throughout time. It is something that we hear even in this room. We continually are in a fight with. Can we continue to approach God in a way that is genuine and authentic? Jesus had actually already brought up this issue of of hollow, apathetic spirituality later when he was training the disciples. He was teaching them how they should pray. And he said this in Matthew 6, 5. He said, and when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites. Separate yourself from them. He said, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. That's their motivation. 
It's not to please God. It's not to glorify Him. It's simply so that they would be seen as being holy. And then he says this, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. That, that is it. Anything that they've asked for or they've declared in their prayers, I'm not going to answer it because they have approached me incorrectly. So this is this type of arrogant, selfish, uh, proud behavior approach to prayer that God doesn't want. N number one, he doesn't want prayer that comes from a proud heart. He doesn't want people making arrogant demands of him. God, you, you owe me. You know, I, I've been a pretty good person. I've done a lot of good things. It's time for you now to fulfill your end and to give me what I want. Number two, God doesn't want prayer that is motivated by building your own kingdom instead of his. He doesn't want it to us to approach him and say, God, I want the glory. I want the status. I want to be known. I want to be seen. God doesn't want prayer, number three, that is full of entitlement or without genuine gratitude or joy. God, I, like I said, I deserve this. I deserve to be heard. Number four, God doesn't want prayer that is only one way, where we simply tell him what we want in, with the wrong heart and then that's it. God wants prayer where there is listening, where there is responding, where there is obedience, where there is relationship, where you're actually listening and you've humbled yourself and you are submitting to Him. So if you've ever wondered why sometimes prayers are not answered, this could be a major component in that. This is also um, what James said in James 4.3. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You're, you're asking wrong. You want things not for the glory of God or not to help others, but you want them for yourself. You might not even realize that you're doing it, but it happens. Why? Because we are selfish people who naturally turn inward. We naturally begin to think about ourselves. So now, let's take everything now that we just learned and let's finish the story. Let's take it and we're going to go back to J Jerusalem. And we know that Jerusalem now, they are in a bad place, both spiritually and physically. They are surrounded by the enemy. The odds are stacked against them, 100 to 1, that they are going to be conquered. They are going to be taken out and swallowed up. And actually, to make, to, to make matters even worse, King Hezekiah receives a taunting, arrogant, and threatening letter from the enemy king calling for their surrender. And so we, we read in 2 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 14, it says this, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord, and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, and he said, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. 
It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they are not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. There it is. Finally, after 40 years, this was the kind of prayer that God was waiting for. This is the kind of prayer that God desperately wanted to hear. He wanted to have that real relational connection. It was a genuine prayer. It was made from an authentic heart. It was a prayer that was full of humility. It was full of gratitude. It was full of of a right view of who God was. It was full of a dependence on God. There were no meaningless offerings. There were no false spiritual words. There were no insincere promises. There were no shows and extravagant flailing of of our arms and and putting on some sort of a display. There's no veiled religiosity or fake counterfeit spirituality. And God is looking at this, and he sees it, and he hears it, and he says, Finally, here is a righteous person who comes before me in the right way, not just for themselves, but They are aligned with what I want. They are giving glory to me. They are viewing God in the right way. And I love here that that the text that tells us that Hezekiah didn't just read the letter. He actually went to the temple. He took the letter and he went to the temple, which may look a little bit different then, but it basically was just a church. It was a place of worship. Hezekiah, he went to church, he took the letter, and it says that he spread the letter out before the Lord. This was a very vulnerable act. And Hezekiah can only imagine what is going on in his heart and in his mind. And he brings this letter and he basically just lays it out and he says, God, here it is. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty bad. It doesn't look good. We're surrounded. The people are scared. We don't know what to do. We know we can't fix this. We're not strong enough. We are not able, but I'm going to trust in you because I know that you are able. You are the healer. You are the deliverer. You are all powerful. So I'm going to trust in you. And I would, I would just imagine all across this room, there are possibly things in your own minds, in your own hearts, in which I would just challenge you. What is that thing in your life that you need to maybe bring here and lay it out before God? That you would, you know, it could just be that stack of bills that just keeps piling up. It could be that health report. It could be those ambitions that you had that they just... They're not happening. The, the areas in your life that you just feel like you are failing, the broken relationship, father to son, siblings, friendships, 
What is it that you just need to stop trying to fix it yourself? Stop trying to handle it in your own strength, in your own arrogance, in your own ability. Nah, God, it's cool. I got this. I'm going to fix it. It hasn't happened. I haven't fixed it yet over the last 10 years. It just keeps getting worse and worse. Well, what is that thing that finally we just need to admit and say, God, I can't, but you can. I, I, can't, I can't fix this. I can't save myself but I know that you can save me. I need your help. I don't know what to do, right? It's so freeing just to come to a place in life where we just say, God, I don't know what to do. But I know that you do. I don't, I'm at a loss. I'm bringing it to you. I'm trusting you. And here's what's awesome about that approach. It's exactly what God wants. It is exactly what he has been waiting for. He doesn't look at you and go, oh, man, I really wish you could have just handled this on your own. So weak of you to actually bring it to me. No, that's, this is what God wants most. He wants you to be in relationship and independence on him. And then we read now how God actually responds. Isaiah 37, this is how the story kind of sums up here. Uh, starting in verse 36, it says, Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000, majority of the army, uh, in the Assyrian camp. These people who ridiculed God, who hated God, he puts, he judges them. So the judgment that would have fallen on Jerusalem fell on them. When the people got up the next morning, they were all, there were all the dead bodies. Verse 37, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, he was afraid. He broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh, and he stayed there. We actually, we actually even read later, it says this, archaeologists have now actually even uncovered Sennacherib's palace in Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian, uh, Assyrian Empire. And they found a wall where Sennacherib had inscribed all of his victories. We won, we conquered, we destroyed. Look at us, how awesome we are. And he lists out all the cities he conquered and details about each conquest. And when it comes to Jerusalem, all it says is that he had King Hezekiah, quote, trapped like a bird in a cage. Strangely, though, he never says what happened after that, which he does with all the other cities he conquered. He was so full of pride, he couldn't say, their God was stronger than, than us. Their God delivered them. And so we'll just close up here with, with just this idea that I really want to reiterate. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and, and effective. God heard Hezekiah's prayer. God listened. God answered it. God acted on his behalf. God defeated the enemy no matter what the odds were. And why? Because Hezekiah, he humbled himself. He approached God correctly, not as a victim, not entitled, not demanding, not arrogant or proud. This is how Hezekiah approached God. Hezekiah echoed the heart of God back to him. That is what prayer should be. That's actually what, what this, why this series is called Echo, because that's what prayer should be. We should be echoing God's word, God's heart from him back to him. I love these, these 
quotes. The first one it says this, effective prayer is discerning what God wants and then asking him for it. Effective prayer, it's simply this, discerning, finding out what does God want and then asking him for it. You know why? Because this means that we want what he wants. Our hearts are aligned to him. And then the second quote that I love is this, the prayers that are heard by heaven are the ones that start in, in heaven. The prayers that are heard by heaven are the ones that start or originate in heaven. They are in line with what God already wants. So all across this room, if you feel like that, if you are in a place where you feel overwhelmed, you feel surrounded, you feel like the odds are against you, you're confused, think of Hezekiah. Think of the army. Think of the obstacle. Think of what stood in front of him and realize that God can do more while you sleep than you could ever do on your own. We'll close here. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29, it simply says this. It says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Now, does this mean that God only hears the prayers of, of Christians? No. Because how else would a person become a Christian, right? Everyone who is a Christ follower, everyone who calls himself a Christian first, they had to pray first as a non-Christian before they could ever pray as a Christian. We actually had to approach God first in our sin. We can actually approach God even though we are not a Christian, we are fallen, we are spiritually dead. We can still approach Him with the right heart. And that is approaching Him with a heart of repentance, approaching Him with a heart that says, God, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I give you my heart. I give you my eternity. I give you my life. That is what salvation is. And Romans 5, 8, it says that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still lost, we were still broken, Christ died for us. God heard you cry out to him when you were still lost in sin, and he still does the same thing even now. Actually, these prayers of accepting Christ as Lord and Savior are the closest prayers to the heart of God. These are the prayers that he wants more than anything because it's somebody coming home. It's a lost prodigal child coming home. It's somebody being adopted into the family of God. So all across this room, with every head bowed, all the eyes cl are closed. We're simply going to close this service um, with, with a prayer, that we're going to pray together as a church. In Romans 10 to 9, it says that if you believe in your heart and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That is a promise. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We are not a Christian because we attend church or because we are religious or because we've done good things. We are a Christian because we've made a decision to be in relationship with Him. So if you would, just repeat these words after me. Say, Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I realize that I need you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I am now a Christian. 
Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope the message was encouraging to you. I hope it was challenging to you. I just pray that it, it edified you in the season that you find yourself in. One of, our, uh, one of our core values here at True North is we believe that we're made to move. And, and when we say that, I know sometimes people are confused by that. They're like, well, what does that mean, move? And, and we don't believe it's irrelevant or just random movement. We believe that is intentional movement um, in your personal walk with Jesus. We believe that that movement is, is directed and guided right to the person of Jesus. And we've, we've built and designed not only our church website, but our church app around the, the intention and the heart to help equip you and resource you on that journey with Jesus. So I pray that you take the time to look at our website, look at our app, and maybe you'll be encouraged through Care Plus or some of the devotionals that are available to you or past messages that are available to you. Share it with other people as it's our intention to resource people in their personal journey with Jesus.